Today, we're going to talk about the types of events a blogger can host, how to attract sponsors to pay for that event, and why having a partner is just so valuable. Take it away, Mike. Calling somebody to help with your events and you don't get a feeling that like they're asking a bunch of questions up front, go the other way. Like, I love working with good people. It's all about the people for me. Hey there, I'm Jason Logston, and this is Making Bacon, all about helping you serve your fans, grow your income, and get the most out of your blog. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Mike Lashardi to the program. He's co-founder of mine with the International Sous Vide Association. He's an event planner, and I think he has some amazing information that a lot of food bloggers would be really interested in. So Mike, welcome to Making Bacon. Thank you. Glad to be here. Anything bacon-related is always a winner in my in my eyes. I know you're always down to... For the bacon. <laughs> exactly. One thing I like to start with is what is it generally like around your dinner table? These days, a little empty. My wife's working 16-hour days. She's a, a resident at Johns Hopkins, so it's it's chaos. I have a five-year-old and a six-month-old, so there's usually some semblance of food getting thrown <laughs> and or this meal that I slaved away over. You know, I don't want this. I wanted it yesterday, not today. Or <laughs> drowning the filet mignon that I so painstakingly cooked well in ketchup, which hurts my heart. So it's a little chaotic at the moment. But but when we can all get together, you know, lots of just great food, great conversation. We have friends over a lot and do a lot of just meals in our little community here of friends. So that's probably what brings me the most joy in life is feeding people. So I try to do that as much as I can. That's awesome. I think a lot of us food bloggers can relate to that, that we really like cooking food and making people happy. And there's a lot of love in cooking for people, I think. Yep. And at a time when, you know, we're so divided, it's the one thing that brings everybody together, which I love about food. Everyone can agree that a, a good pizza is a good thing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Especially when the best pizza in the world is here in Baltimore. <laughs> you can give a plug for your favorite place if you want. All right, little little plug for Joe Benny's Focaccia in Little Italy, best pizza in the world. I'm going to be down with Mike doing a demo in Baltimore this weekend, so I'm looking forward to a post post demo Joe Benny's run. I've never had it yet, but I've heard a lot over the last last few years about how good it is. So I'm excited. Yeah, I I am always excited to go there. So it'll it'll be fun. So you are a event planner. You're not really a food blogger, though you've been getting into it a lot more lately with the International Sous Vide Association work. How did you get into event planning originally? You know, it's a very interesting journey that I've been on, starting in retail, worked for my dad's construction business. And then when my dad passed away, my mom wanted to get out of construction and really give back to veterans in particular. They, our family's always been very support those who serve, who serve our country. So I started working for a nonprofit for vets with post-traumatic stress up in Napa, best foodie town in the country. So I enjoyed that immensely, but did a little bit of, you know, therapy project creation. And at the same time was, you know, doing some events, some trade show booths for them. I started a Southern California golf tournament that made about 50 grand over two years from them. And that is really what was the catalyst for, you know, me falling in love with the world of events. Fast forward a little bit. I interned with a now a friend of mine uh, who is an event company in SoCal, and she did mostly business conferences, seminars, uh, that kind of stuff. And I really just fell in love with that side of it. I'm not a social event person. Fundraising events are fun, but I enjoy more the the business and brand building events. So 
I think that was in 2013, 2014, something like that. And just been kind of digging into it more and more ever since. What is it about event planning that really draws you to it and has kept you doing this for so long? I think seeing the results at the end, like it's, as you well know now, after a year and a half of planning our own event, the yep. work that goes into it is is intense and nonstop. But seeing the satisfaction at the end, both from my client, but also just from the attendees who get to come and have a totally new experience, uh, that makes every moment of it worth it. And that that's my favorite part of the process is, you know, once the event starts getting the feedback and, and just seeing everybody having a great time, it's, it's just awesome. What is the biggest event you've done and the smallest event you've done? The biggest event I've done, I did a couple years in a row for a nonprofit in California. It was an education foundation, and they had a gala and fundraiser for about five to 600 people at the Culver Studios. So those who know me know Mel Brooks is one of my favorite actors and Blazing Saddles. It's just an awesome movie. And I actually got to meet him while I was there. Wow. Uh, he was just walking around the day before the event on setup day. And, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, you're Mel Brooks. So, yeah, that one was fun. Did that for a couple of years. And the smallest event I've done, I mean, you know, I don't know if a one-year-old's birthday party counts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, But, uh, no, I, I, there's this group I'm a part of called Dads Married to Doctors. It's exactly what it sounds like. I help them start a retreat, which it's an online community of about 3,600 people. And they wanted to... Put, do something in person to allow people to build relationships. And the first year it was in Vegas and it was about 20 people. That's probably the, the smallest I've worked on. And then, you know, a multitude in between that. What is uh, your favorite event that you've worked on? The sous vide summit, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is absolutely, um, you know, it's really funny because this sounds super boring and, and it's probably more about the client than anything, but I do this estate planning seminar every year in Southern California and I, they're just a blast. I mean, it's a bunch of attorneys and CPAs and I, they're just a blast to work with. And funny story, I was there in Southern California last week and we had an in-person meeting, which usually it's just conference calls, ended up everybody called into the meeting except me and the the last board president so it was just two of us there but uh after the meeting we start talking and he just bought a sous vide device <laughs> and so we start talking about that and so i mailed him a copy of your modernist cuisine made easy oh, thank you sous -vide book which he got today and called me and was very excited so i love working with good people i mean it, you know it's all about the people for me and the event can be ho-hum but if the client is awesome you know, and the dad's group is always, I mean, I get to work that one, but I also get to attend and make friends and stuff. So that one's always pretty awesome too. And you did that one in Louisville, Kentucky last year. Is that right? Last year. Yeah. The first two were in Vegas. Then we were in Louisville last year and then we'll be in Vegas next month for the other one. And then I actually, you know what? Smaller than that, I did a couples retreat for them. I forgot in February that was in St. Lucia. And that was nine couples from the group, 18 people. My wife was working, so I did not get to go to that one because I didn't want to be the only non-couple guy going. But, but yeah, they've been, I, I've watched them sort of have this concept of, you know, this is why events would be helpful for us. And just strategically, every year we're adding a new event. And so they're ending up with this portfolio of three or four a year. Um, just is pretty exciting to see, you know, and it's just continuing to grow from there. 
I love hearing about all the different events that are out there and the different types of organizations that use events to grow their brands or to make money in some cases. What are the main reasons you've seen for a brand or an organization to put on an event or a conference? Yeah, I think there's really three reasons that, and there's a lot of sub reasons within these, but there's sort of three main categories for me. Brand building would be one, obviously, which is getting yourself, you know, more known, getting your brand, giving people a favorable view of your brand in some cases. Money making is another. And then the last one is community building, which is something more like what we're doing with the ISVA or what the dads group is doing is taking this online community and really making it personal. So I think those are, are the three main categories that you got to decide between. And it can be a combination, but you really have to have, you know, you have to pick, here's, here's our most important goal. Here's our most important target. And then we can, you know, fit in the others as they need. But this is, you know, this is our most important goal with it. Uh, prioritizing goals is a huge pet peeve of mine, that it's something that having put out a lot of different cookbooks, people ask, well, when I put out a cookbook, what should be in the book or should it be a hardcover or a paperback or all these different questions around it? And my first question to them is always, well, what is your goal? Do you want to make money? Do you want to expand your brand? Do you want to get this in the hands of as many people as possible? And once you decide on that, then you can make those trade-offs that you know, doing a hardcover is going to cost you $5 in profit per book. But if you're using it to expand your brand and impress other brands that are out there that you want to work with, and it's a portfolio almost, then yeah. you don't care about the $5. Yeah. If you want to get into as many people's hands as possible, then you might want cheap paper and a paperback so you can charge $5 for it so everyone can buy one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and something I've noticed in the in, just in the event world in general client to, you know, event planner, there's always a visionary and that's the person with all the ideas. Right. And then there's the logistics guy who in this case is me and it's constantly, and, and we noticed this with our own event, right? Like you're constantly throwing out different ideas, which is great. And it gives you, it gives you sort of a roadmap for growth in the future. But it, my job is really to take that visionary that has the million ideas and sort of pare them down a little bit and back them up and okay so here's 50 ideas what are the five that are most in line and let's talk about those goals again and you know once you decide that every decision that you make like you're saying with the cookbooks every decision that you make needs to be in that lens how is this helping me reach my goal if it's not it's not what you want to do in this particular case you know and it doesn't mean you know, obviously you publish one cookbook that you want to go viral and get into everybody's hands, right? Doesn't mean every cookbook has to be that way. They can, you, you can mix it up going forward. So as your event grows and as you learn a little bit more about it, you can pivot, you can adjust things and the goals very, may very well change of that event, but really streamlining at the beginning is, is crucial to being successful. I think. I think for any new endeavor, it's really important to it's better to do five things really well than 10 yeah. things okay-ish. When a client's interested in throwing an event and they get a hold of you, how does the process work? How does one work within a, an event or conference planner and kind of flesh out this stuff? Yeah, so this is something I learned from my, my old partner um, with the event company I worked at before. She has this Magumbo-like 15 page questionnaire and that 
really what I used and what, what we used as the initial call. And there's a couple of reasons for it. Like, I want to know what you, what you already have in your head. Like that, that is the first thing is figuring out, okay, what's your vision? What's actually in your head? I also want to start introducing you to the ideas that maybe you haven't thought of yet, which that questionnaire does. Um, and the other aspect of that is it really helps me to look, you know, to look like the expert in the field that I am. And it helps the client to have confidence that I'm going to do a good job. I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm talking about. So if you are calling somebody to help with your events and you don't get a feeling that like they're asking a bunch of questions up front, go the other way. Like before, before I make any recommendations or decisions on how to go forward or whether this is even, you know, it, whether it even makes sense for us to work together, there need to be 15 million questions asked to figure out what, what the actual vision is. So that's part one is really just figuring that out. I would say I was shocked when we, having done the conference with you now yeah. and gone through the whole process of just how many details and questions and there's just so many decisions that need to be made that I can't imagine not having a hundred discussions with the with the planner to figure out what needs to be done. Everything from what shape of tables do you want to what type of decorations and food and timing. There's just there's so much that it was it was really eye-opening to me that I didn't realize I knew it was complicated, but not just how complicated it actually was. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the world of corporate events is so different. I don't do social events. I don't, I plan my own wedding. That was enough for me, you know, but, but a wedding, all the goals are the same. I mean, you have different budgets and stuff, but the goal in the end. To make money, to make lots of money. It's all about the gift registry. Yeah. This is where the the nest egg comes from, you know, and, and that's the thing. And, and, there's different different decisions that need to be made, but really, it's fairly cookie cutter. They're all, you know, the the process is fairly cookie cutter. With a corporate event, it's totally different. I mean, every single event is its own uh, animal. And my old partner did this series of how to run your event like a business. And I thought that was brilliant. Like looking at your event as its own business and going through the process in that way and most of us who are food bloggers or, or bloggers really in general, we have some sense of, I mean, this is a business that we're running for many of us. So using that sort of know-how in the process is really helpful. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of details and, and there's a lot of little things that, you know, it, it really is an industry where, you know, just to, to use a coined phrase, the devil is in the details. You miss a couple of these little things and, and it, drastically affects the you know experience for your attendees i think it's one of those things too that people only notice generally when things go wrong that if they should never the attendees should never notice any of the event planning because it should be going so smoothly and they're just in the moment yeah when the videos don't play or power cuts out then it's now it's they're kind of jarred out of this world that you've created for them yeah absolutely and and really that's a lot of my job is anticipating you know, thinking ahead of time before the event, before you even get on the ground, okay, what could go wrong? Let's put solutions in place so they're there, you know, if we need them. And hopefully we don't. But, you know, that that's why I advocate so much for working with a professional in some sense who's done this before, because they're going to have that experience that, you know, we'll be able to drive that. And if something, God forbid, does go wrong, um, you know, the solution's right there. And 
I mean, we had a couple, yeah, first time event with the sous vide association and we had a couple things, but it was really encouraging to me talking, you know, cause I'm very honest with people and, you know, some of the attendees as we were chatting at the reception, it's like, oh yeah, this happened. And they were like, oh, we never would have known, you know, and, and that means we did our job very well. Like that, that's, that's, you know, that's how it should be. What are some gotchas that people putting on events don't really foresee that you've seen come up and be issues time and time again? Doing a rehearsal is paramount. Like, even if it's just a simple program, people forget where they're supposed to be. They, you know, I've had, we had a a famous actor at one of those uh, Education Foundation events. And, you know, I had talked to him ahead of time and went through what he was going to say and it was you know all of three minutes and we get there the client didn't have time to do a rehearsal so we just went and this guy talked for like 20 minutes and put the entire thing and then you know of course the superintendent did the same thing so it was like (laughs) 45 minutes behind so the next year what we did and and this was a really cool thing for me. We videotaped the entire uh, award ceremony. That, that's what the program really was, was a teacher award ceremony. So we videotaped all the sponsor messages ahead of time so we could edit them, cut them. And man, it just went so smooth. So doing a rehearsal is huge. Things, you know, depending on where you're having your meeting, like the hotel that we had the meeting at, the, lo- the logistics staff was awesome. I mean, everybody was really impressed, you know, as far as the attendees go. So making sure that your team knows where they're supposed to be and when, you know, whether it's the hotel people or your own people, a lot of times there's not a, not enough coordination done, making sure everybody understands. I mean, we assume that certain things are common sense. And I think we've all learned in different ways that in this world, that is just not the case. So don't assume anything. Make sure yeah. everything is written detailed if you know if you go over uh, you know if somebody needs to go and take a piece of paper from point a to point b at this time write it down and i i guess the last sort of little little thing there that that's i guess a helpful tip in dealing with some of this stuff is make sure every day of the conference you have a, a you know a little 10 minute time before everything gets going to meet with your team even if it's just a you know Hey, how'd you sleep last night? At least have that time and and plan that into your schedule and make sure everybody knows that this is important that you need to be here. Because I've had lots of little issues come up that way that, hey, I experienced this yesterday. Oh, well, nobody told me. Let's figure out how we can fix that, you know, for today. I love your point about the, uh, the details, too, that no detail is too small. I think yeah. as recipe writers, we can all relate to that, that you get comments on your blog like, well, the the skin of the onion was really tough. It's like, well, you're supposed to, you put, I told you to chop the onion, but I didn't mean leave the skin on. Like, isn't that obvious? It's like, well, you never said to remove the skin. Oh, oh yeah, I didn't. I thought you would have just assumed that you didn't yeah. eat the inedible part of the onion, but apparently not. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, like with, with some recipes, you'll see that it calls for like, you know, what was the one we were looking at? It's like, you know, 60 milligrams of sugar. And it's like, that's a hundredth of a teaspoon. I, this may be, you know, maybe we should double check and make sure this is right. So all those little details, they, they really do add up and they can, they can have just a massive effect on your success. 
as a person, when you're putting on a wedding or a birthday party, you write a check for five grand or 20 grand or 300 grand, whatever, however big it is. As a food blogger or someone that's interested in putting on a conference, it's very hard to write a check of any size before you get started. How do you, how would someone pay for one of these events if you're just getting started in this space? The first thing I would say, and and I think this is something you and I can probably both attest to, is find a partner. Like, find somebody that you'll work well with. Like, obviously, make sure it's somebody you're going to work well with. Like, have some conversations first. But find somebody that has the same motivation. Maybe they're not a blogger, but maybe they have some reason for wanting to get in front of the the bloggers um, or the, the audience that you're in front of. I mean, sharing the load can be just huge. Like, that, that would be number one. I think that's super important too, just from the the different ideas and mindsets that people come from that yeah. you and I had a, a lot of conversations on both sides where I felt very strongly about something and you disagreed. And three or four months later, you finally convinced me that you were right. And I'd done the same thing with some things that you felt yeah. strongly about. And yeah. it's like having those opposing mindsets, like, no, now that I have thought about this time and time again, and it made the conference a lot better where- yep. Either one of us had just done exactly what we personally wanted at first. It wouldn't yeah. have been nearly as good. Well, and I, I mean, I guess that kind of goes back into one of the caveats that we were talking about a second ago. It, that's a really good point. You got to remember this event isn't for you. This is not your event. It's an event for your people. Your people are not all like you. And so, you know, what I like is not necessarily going to fly with this, you know, with, with the audience or vice versa. So, I think that that is definitely another way having, and even if it's not a, a money sharing partner or something, having some sort of an, a, an advisory committee like we've put together, they're able to bounce ideas off and, hey, what do you guys think? You guys have been in this, preferably people with some experience in what you're doing. It, that's super helpful. I, I would say too, that if you're a food blogger looking to put on a conference, that putting together an advisory committee I think both Mike and I were very surprised how easy it was that we reached out to these big names if they're interested in just being a part and being up to date about what we're doing. And almost all of them said yes, because they're excited about, in our case, sous vide, and they want to be a part of an organization that's excited about sous vide. And it has really helped grow our network and our personal brands in that. So don't feel intimidated. Like, who would want to be a part of my conference? Probably more people than you would think. Absolutely. So another point in this in this vein of how do you pay for this and how do you put it on? We were kind of an anomaly, I think, in how we started. We went straight to the three-day conference, and there were reasons for that. And obviously, we had the network and we had the, the people behind us to make that happen in our situation. But I would say what looks it looks really daunting if you have never done this before, um, which I know you and I spoke about a lot to step up and do this whole three day, you know, hey, we're gonna just go all out. So I would say, do something small, local in your area, do a half day workshop, a half day seminar, do a series of things. And really what I call that is proving the concept. And that will give you a lot more confidence, first of all, that what you're doing is something that people will come to, pay for, whatever your goal is for the event. But it also gives you a way to start building relationships. Now you have some demographics. And, you know, obviously, as bloggers, we would all have our sort of blog demographics. But those aren't necessarily the same as the people that are coming to the event. It may only be a subset of those demographics. So doing 
some smaller things in your area to prove the concept and you know figure out the interest will get you demographics which will you'll, you're then able to use to leverage to bring in sponsors and advertisers and people that will underwrite the cost of the event that's a really hard thing to do especially for a first time event because everybody's you know i think one of our sponsors it cracked me up uh, when when he wrote back he was like oh i didn't know if this was going to be the fire festival you know or not but it ended up being you know and that is that is like real world honest thinking and it it truly is you know these businesses and and sponsors are getting pitched all the time sometimes 10 15 requests a day you know hundreds a week and you know you need to set yourself apart and you do that by having proved the concept and saying look i've done this i have demographics i know who's coming to the event i know that what i'm promising you i can deliver in terms of of return on investment you know and on your dollars coming in so and with that is also just survey, survey, survey. I mean, we did that at the beginning before we did this. Make sure what you want to do is actually something people want. Put a few surveys out there and, you know, be flexible enough that if the results you're getting aren't what you want them to be, that you can pivot and, you know, say, okay, well, maybe it's not exactly what I what my vision was, but this is what my audience is telling me they want. So let's go in that direction instead. And to your point about starting small and finding like-minded partners, I think as bloggers, we have a lot of people that we know that are in similar niches to us that aren't competitors, really. Yeah. That if you can find some in your area that are within five hours of a drive, which is a lot of covers a lot of land. Yes. Find some of those people. You know, a three-day conference is really hard. A an afternoon that you rent out a event space for three or four hours for $500 or $1,000 and maybe another $500 for food. Yep. You can find another three or four bloggers to split that cost. You're only in a few hundred dollars and you have all this combined marketing effort and a lot of people on your side that are trying to kind of get this event going with you. You're not on your own kind of on this island. Absolutely. And I mean, to that point too, I think we tend to look at, at, things as competitive a lot like we it, and i feel like in in the food industry in in many industries it's just exaggerated and you know let's say you and i were competing bloggers doing sous vide stuff if we do something well we both win you know and i think that is just especially in this market you know where where there are there is some crossover i think it's really important to remember that that community aspect of it and that you know if we do this well we win and you know yes we still are are trying to sell different things and you know we we want to be an expert in this way or not but people are also going to gravitate to you way more if they know that you're a team player if they see that you're working with other people like that's just cool and i as an attendee going to things I enjoy seeing that. I enjoy seeing some of my favorite chefs who are, you know, have conflicting restaurants across the street. I mean, look at look at our conference and our sponsors, right? And I heard from multiple of multiple that like, hey, yeah, we're we're competitors, but it was like a family. Like everybody was just having fun together and supporting each other and you know, oh hey, we don't have that, but you know what? Go over to to this exhibitor right down there and they've got it for you and because yeah, we had four or five equipment manufacturers that all developed for home cooks, 
a lot also developed for professional cooks and they yeah. were all sponsors and exhibitors within a small room. It could have been a, a cage match of people fighting yes. for attention with the attendees, but instead everyone was very complimentary of each other, got along well. And that made every attendee I've talked to has talked about how, how nice the brands were that were there. Yeah. And I think that's something to keep in mind as you do look for sponsors too, and partners and speakers is finding people that you would want to have a drink with, whether yep. that's a beer or a coffee that you want to get together and you enjoy spending time with them because it yeah. will set the tone for the whole event. And having a speaker that's a big deal to the people that are at the conference speak and then afterwards talk to attendees at yeah. lunch is huge and makes that's the type of thing that you can't plan really at a conference that you just need to get people that are willing to do that. Yeah. And having a space that fosters that is really helpful as well. I mean, we were in a hotel, which, uh, you know, side note for all the food bloggers here, hotels can be very difficult if you're doing a food service event where you're wanting to bring food in. Just want to throw that out there. They but, like to use their set menus. That's for sure. Yes. And, and there's, you know, there's a lot of rules and things behind that. So, but being where we were, conference space, people staying in the hotel, they had a lobby bar and every night, you know, you would see the speakers and the attendees just hanging out, having drinks together. And so, so putting yourself in a place in, in a, in a venue that fosters that is also really helpful in that regard. They have a few partners now. They have found a, a space that looks good. They have 30 to 50 people that have signed up like, okay, I'm ready to get some sponsors. How do they go about them? How do you approach them? What information do you need to show to most sponsors to get them on board? Yes. So timing is really important, believe it or not. And and this is probably the thing that gets overlooked, I think, the most. So companies set their budgets in the fourth quarter. Like September to November is kind of the sweet spot. And if you want bigger money or you want to be built into their budget, that's the time when you want to get your proposal into them. It's hard if you're doing an event in September to November, but you really want to think ahead. And I, I tell all of my clients, like first time event, you know, if it's a little seminar or something, you can do it in six months or whatever. But if you're if you're really serious about putting on a killer event, give yourself a year. And, and like we started, what, 15, 18 months ahead of time for the first one. And it makes the process a lot easier. And it gives you that time to get in front of the sponsors at at. The best time to to, you know, you have the better the best chance of getting the most, you know, buy-in from them at that time. Doesn't mean they won't later, but what it means is if you go to them in you know the summer, and you're asking for the same year, they're going to look at their advertising budget and say, oh well, you know, we've only spent half of it. We can put a couple hundred bucks at it, and we'll still be under budget for the year. So that that is really important. As as I was super surprised when we reached out to some people and we had one or two in, I think, March for a July conference or yeah. might have been even been earlier in the year. Say, well, we've already booked all of our conferences for 2019 and yeah. they're like three months into the year. Like, wow, that's way ahead of time. Yeah, it's uh, it, I mean, it's it's crucial. So that that's really important as far as what to say, you know, especially if you're in a nonprofit setting, but I think even for profit, we have this tendency to think, oh, businesses are doing it just because, you know, they want to be nice and they want to support things. And that's true in a sense, for sure. And I, I think for, 
you know, we noticed that with our conference. Some first time event, they're taking a risk, but because of the relationships, they they bought in. But by and large, these companies are getting so many requests that they're not going to typically just do something out of the goodness of their hearts. You know, as much as they I would like to, it's just not feasible and it's not business. So having data is is crucial. And you get that from surveys. You get that from knowing your audience who's coming. As much demographic data as you can collect on who's attending the event, you know, why they're attending, what they spend their money on. Any data like that that you can get where they're located is helpful in in making your pitch. Because, you know, they're basically what a company is doing when they're deciding to sponsor your event is they're weighing their other advertising efforts against the return on investment that you're getting. So if they're giving you a thousand bucks for a hundred people, that's $10 a person, right? If they know those are quality buyers and they know 25% of those buyers are going to spend money and it's going to, you know, equate, that's a lot better return on investment than a, a newspaper ad or something like that, you know? So everything they're looking at dollar for dollar on what they're putting in versus what they're getting back out in most cases. I think there are cases and and again with ours, this was some of it where it was a this is important for us to be a part of this mission. So I you know make sure you can tell your story the right way, like craft your story, figure out what it is. Don't just go in and oh you know I want to do this event. No, this is what I'm doing. This is the vision. This is why we need this event. This is why it's important to the community. This is why it's important for your company to be there. You know, I think those are the the main conversation points that you want to be having. I love your point about the return on investment is is really huge. And we tend to think about that as being financial, that if you give us a thousand dollars, we need to our attendees need to buy fifteen hundred dollars worth of stuff to make it worth your while. But there is that other return on investment, like you were saying, that is it's branding for the company out of the at the ISVA conference, one of our our title sponsor was Crea and Cuisine Solutions, and they do like Starbucks egg bites and Panera's chicken and oatmeal. They're really, really big deal. And for them to take a risk on us, they weren't looking at it as if we put in you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to hosting receptions and, and being a huge part of the conference, they weren't looking at it as we're going to get you know, 1.2% of that money or times that money back that we put into it. They looked at it as we are the sous vide company. This is a sous vide conference. Therefore we should be front and center during the conference because that's who they are and that's their brand. So part of their return was them being at the forefront of this big conference being talked about the entire conference. Yep. Absolutely. That, that that's huge. You know, and it depends a lot on what you're doing and what your industry is. But again, this is why I kind of advocate for proving the concept with smaller events, because then you have some data and you can tell these people, like, this is who's here. This is why it's important that you you be there, whether it's a monetary, you know, whether it's for them to sell or it's for their their branding purposes. So we've been talking about sponsors and that you can bring on sponsors what does that actually mean? How can, if you have a brand that says, I want to be a part of your conference, how, what different ways can they be involved in the conference or options can you give them? Sure. Of course, there's financial, you know, underwriting the cost of uh, just writing a check, which you can use towards whatever. In-kind sponsorship is also super helpful. Allen Brothers killed it 
at our conference with that. They provided just amazing product for uh, some of the demos and then the Friday night reception. If you're um, looking for amazing meat, I love Allen Brothers. They were yeah. a, a great sponsor and they had their product. I've had several times now. It's just some of the best steak I've ever had. Yeah, I don't think I can get flank steak anymore without anywhere else. I mean, that Wagyu flank steak is just just out of this world and everything was. So, you know, it, and and real quick, this has made me think of something that depending who's going to be involved in your conference, this is something else that Allen Brothers, they got something out of being involved in the conference and the people they're talking about it. But they also knew that there's going to be chefs there. There's people that were food bloggers and people like me that I've now mentioned them on multiple podcasts. I know other people that were there have mentioned them on their blogs and in articles, and they're getting this residual branding out of the conference because they had a good product. So that's something else you can keep in mind that, yeah, there's 20 people there, but these 20 people are influencers or know these people or the committee involved all have blogs. You're also going to get all this exposure in all their blogs. It's another thing that you can pitch to kind of bring companies in. Absolutely. Well, don't be afraid. This wasn't, I don't know that this was something that really helped us, you know, get them committed. Um, But, you know, we found out after we had started talking with them, as we're sharing with them our speaker lineup, that a couple of our speakers are buyers of theirs. And, you know, so so asking the people involved in your event who their relationships are with, I didn't I didn't really mention that. But so the average with a cold call, the number of touches it takes to convert a cold call even into a conversation is somewhere between seven and nine touches. That's emails, phone calls, voicemails, working through your relationships uh, and you know, figuring out that's the other part of building a committee, figuring out who people know and who they can personally introduce you to. That's huge. And and that's on the sponsorship side. That's on, you know, speakers and attendees basically all the way around the event. A personal relationship is going to be just hugely beneficial. Yeah. Craig, I wouldn't have even picked up the phone probably if we would have just sent them an email. But we had Dave from PolyScience was one of our speakers. And we said, Dave, yeah you believe in this conference. Who else do you think would benefit from this conference? He said, Crea. And we said, will you send an email? He said, yep. And they came on as a title sponsor and provided tens of thousands of dollars worth of value to us just from that one introduction. Yeah. And I mean, just the relationship value of, of knowing them. And I mean, they're just the best people they are in just a little plug for them. They just landed. I think it's a, Emirates Airlines, they're doing the the catering for Emirates, which is pretty unbelievable. I mean, the high end quality and they're in Dubai right now doing that launch. So they just they, they just blow my mind with with the incredible stuff that they do. And and that's what like Mike was saying, that's what a personal relationship can do. People yeah. that are working with Starbucks, Trader Joe's, Panera, Emirates Airlines, Delta decided Airlines, to yeah. yeah, Delta decided to take a risk on to pretty much nobody's compared to companies like that, that are billion dollar companies take a risk and help us with our event because of a personal connection. Yeah, absolutely. Huge. So you're saying in-kind sponsorships. Yes. So in-kind cash sponsorships, of course, marketing sponsorships. And in-kind is when they provide product, right? We got distracted by the amazing quality of the food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, me, does a pretty good job of <laughs> I think most of us I was having a conversation with a friend recently and I was scrolling uh, your Facebook group and one of the guys posted this steak 
you know, with stuff came up and we just stopped. Like, I don't even, we didn't remember where we were. It just was like, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. In kind sponsorship is anything that they would provide in lieu of a cash donation. So they're giving you X amount of product or consulting, or, I mean, it could be the sun, the moon and the stars. It could be anything. And um, that's a good way. If you're looking to do as a, at a food conference, if you're looking to do really good food, Allen Brothers provided all of the steak for our reception. So yep. enough steak, Wagyu steak in this case, for 150 people to eat. So we got to serve, put on a really amazing reception for free, basically, from the food standpoint, because they provided it. So it's a good way yeah. you can leverage your sponsors or brands that are out there. Yep, absolutely. Uh, there was something else I was just going to share on that, and I got distracted by the meeting. <laughs> But yeah, so so in-kind sponsors can be awesome. Also, media sponsors that will, you know, sometimes they will like pay for advertising for you. Or if they're an advertising company, they, you know, you could have a magazine as your media sponsor and they do all this. They give you free advertising and promotion in their in their programs. That can be huge depending on your audience. And especially if you're doing a local thing and working with some of the local papers, you know, and and obviously all of them have online services and stuff now so that that could be another type of of just really beneficial help the other thing i was going to say for in kind i just remembered even things like uh gift bags gift items to put in your swag bags um things that people can take home with them all of that adds value for the attendee and stay away from <laughs> my client's gonna laugh when he hears this because he's he's gonna know i'm talking about him uh, but I have a client who loves oriental trading and uh, it's a constant conversation of like, no, don't, you know, he has these midnight shopping sprees that uh, then become the swag bag items for attendees. And, you know, for the most part, a lot of events give away just cheap swag and people don't care. Like at that point, to me, you're just wasting money on something that really isn't going to have an impact. But finding a sponsor like Amazing Food Made Easy that is going to give you this awesome sous vide ruler that everybody gets to take home. You know, I, I mean, we had that. We had food saver bags uh, that people actually use um, or even the bags that they come in. You know, um, that that's another really good way to leverage an in-kind sponsor. I think it's good for a lot of the bloggers have probably been to blogging conferences and think about what stood out to you in the swag bag. It yeah. wasn't the pens and the notepads. It's the the pancake mix that's in there that everyone's talking about, especially when they get when TSA doesn't let them go through the check in line. But it's it's those type of things that if you can talk to companies, they can provide some of that that you don't have to pay for any of that yourself, which can be really nice. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, those are those are, I think, the big three with sponsors would be cash media and then in kind. And sponsors are slightly different from exhibitors, right? That show yes. up and have a booth at an event, which is generally for larger events, or is it? Can you do that for small events as well? I mean, you can really do it for anything, depending on it. it, it all that changes is your pricing and the setup. I mean, you know, even for our conference, they were tabletop exhibits. It wasn't. We didn't. We didn't have the space this first time, um, and we didn't plan on having the space for big ten by ten setups. So. Exhibit booths can be very, A, they can be very simple. Like it doesn't have to be crazy. You just have to communicate what you're giving people so they know. But in my experience, that is one of those things that really 
gets people on board. So a lot of times what I'll do is the bottom couple of sponsorship levels don't include that. But anybody that like level three and above or depending on what your packages are includes the exhibit booth. And a lot of times that will help get sponsors to step up to the biggest level, bigger levels, because they're getting face-to-face time now in front of people and they can actually come and network. You can also just sell the exhibit booths and they don't get the marketing benefits that, that the sponsors get. Um, but it's a lower investment and it's just, Hey, I, it's essentially, I have something to sell. I want to be there and sell it, you know? So even looking at, at the important thing with that, especially with exhibitors is to look at related products. Like you don't have to just stick in your, your wheelhouse. Like we didn't just have sous vide companies. We had cast iron company. We've had spice companies. We had Noonday, who is selling these awesome bags and jewelry made by, I don't even remember which country, but they're fair trade uh, items that are are made by um, people that are being treated fairly and given a fair wage and all that good stuff. So it, it doesn't necessarily all have to be exactly on point with what you're doing. It just has to be something that will give value to your attendees and that the company will find value getting in front of your audience. So look local. I think that's really two really good keys there. One is the products that are around it, like Stargazer cast iron pans were huge. And so many people talked about them because they were different than what the conference was about, but it applied to everyone that was at the conference. Yep. And then I think looking local, like you're saying, is a good way that you can harness different things. I know the international food blogger conference always does a like local taste where they bring in a bunch of local places that contribute food and, they help them put on basically a free reception, I'm sure, for, yeah. and it's great food, great product, and it's all by local places that want to be involved because of the people that are going to be there. Absolutely. I mean, we had a local charity that does really cool stuff. They have an internship program for people that want to get into uh, culinary arts and stuff. And we gave the bar sales uh, the one night to them as a donation, but they were able to come and get in front of people. And that corporate social responsibility is really important now. Uh, it, it's it's just a it's a big thing in our world, and all of us want to feel like we're doing good in the world. We want to feel like we're giving back. So finding a local partner doesn't have to mean you're giving them a lot of money, but just giving them some exposure that you're saying you you support. I think that uh, you know that's huge. And if anybody wants to look them up, they're called the Crop Foundation. Um, really, really cool program in Delaware, doing some awesome things. I think it's really good too to keep in mind that when you pitch originally you're pitching to the business mm-hmm. and once the conference starts going and the people the a company has decided to work with you you're working with people yes. that you're not you haven't they didn't spend their money to be there the exhibitors and the people that are working the booths so treat them be generous to them be very nice yes. to them make sure they have a good time yeah. and Make sure that they're going to look good to their boss, too. Yes. That's what's going to get you, I think, repeat vendors coming back year and year because they're going to see the value there and they're going to have had a good time. You can't just argue the metrics at that point. Absolutely. I mean, they're the people that are going to go back and, and be your champion and fight for you. So definitely make sure you take care of people. You know, that's in everything. I mean, every part of the event just make sure you're taking care of your people. Like whatever that looks like for your audience and your subject matter, like that, that to me, you know, event goals aside, everybody needs to be happy. 
yeah, it changed. It gives such a different energy to a conference when yeah. everyone's generous and yeah. just really cares about everyone having a good time. Yeah, absolutely. What are your, this is, I think we've gone through most of that now. So this is a kind of side subject. When you're bringing in speakers, what are your thoughts on paying for speakers versus only having people that are there for free? I think that's very industry dependent, I think. So even, you know, most of my clients that I have worked for in most industries, there has been some form of payment for the speakers, typically. Um, and if they're traveling in, all of that's required. Obviously, for in our experience, that was very different. For the ISVA conference? For the, for the ISVA conference, you know, it, it was the speakers were willing to come and and be a part of it for their own brand building. And a lot of it was also because they felt that our content was very interesting and they would grow and it would, uh, it would help, you know, their company. So I think finding speakers that will get benefit out of being at your event is, is a huge help. I'm certainly not opposed to paying for, especially keynotes, like the, the important ones that, I mean, they're all important. I shouldn't say important, but you know, the ones that are making larger time commitment, uh, you know, it's a lot more work to plan for an hour presentation than it is for 20 minutes. And there are some that, that just won't be able to come if you don't. And I think that's on a case by case basis. If you've budgeted for it, there's no shame in saying, you know what, I'm just not there yet, but next year let's plan this. And, you know, I really want to work with you. It, but you know, it, it's a, there's also, so the estate planning, you know, client that I work with, they, they usually pay one or two larger speakers that are traveling in, but then everybody, they, they're a half day event. So they have four or five speakers and everybody gets an honorarium, you know, as part of it. And some will choose, you know, Hey, I don't want it. You know, they, I don't need it. You know, I, I'm just coming to do it. So I think it's really dependent on, on your market, on what you're doing for the event. I do think starting small and, you know, doing the little few hour half day ones, you're going to have a lot more luck finding people that are not, you know, you're going to be pulling more local people and finding people who are not going to charge you right away. But it gives you an opportunity to build a relationship and test people out. And then, you know, you sort of realize who who you want or need to pay for in the future as well. I think especially in food, too, it's good to find people that would be interested in your conference. Yes. Like, I think we had a lot of we we covered a little bit for some of the keynote speakers and that's everyone else came to speak at the ISVA for free. Yeah. And a, a lot of people came because we gave them the $300 ticket to the, to attend the ISVA as part of yeah. them speaking. And that was almost like yeah. what we, the honorarium we were giving them. Yeah. And that's the way it works for a lot of the food uh, conferences, food blogger conferences. I speak at, I don't get paid, but I do get a ticket to the conference itself. So that's something yeah. you can pitch speakers. Well, we can't pay you money, but this is a $200 event or a hundred dollar event and we'll give you yeah. a free ticket to it. And we'll, you know, you're also getting in front of the, these, the people that are in your target audience and yeah. build your marketing. Well, and also doing things like recording the sessions, assuming that the, the speakers are good with that and hosting that somewhere that people will have access to, whether that's paid or not in the future, um, that gives them residual, you know, opportunities to get in front of more people and grow their brand, you know, and in ours in particular, and many events outside of just the, you know, educational content. I mean, 
there was a lot of good food they got to eat. I mean, the 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 price of the conference was pretty well worth just the food. I feel like. Yep. You know, with, with the the quality and and you know the chefs that were cooking it. So looking at really all the value proposition that you have with your event, that'll sort of dictate what you can do there. I think that answers all my questions. Do you have any other tips or things that you wanted to hit on? So the only other thing I'd mention, there's one question that I think every event organizer needs to ask themselves at the beginning. And this is, you know, goals aside, whatever your goals are that you decide on, you know, this is why I'm doing the event. What are the the measurable results at the end? Like, what can you measure? And what, what do you need to see at the end of this that's measurable that will tell you in your eyes that this was a successful event. I ask every one of my clients that. The answer is always different, but what is the most important thing or couple of things for you to be able to look at? And, you know, it's really easy to just go with these, you know, very, you know, lofty, you know, kind of, I don't know, fairy wing goals, I guess, or whatever (laughs) that, you know, I just want people to have a good time. And I just want everybody to be happy. But how do you measure that? I mean, certainly feedback results, but, you know, pick something. Is it money? Like, do you need to make a certain amount of money? Do you need to see X amount of connections between people happening? Um, Do you need to get a certain, you know, maybe take that that goal and quantify it that you want to see 90% satisfaction? You know, that's the number that lets you know you're successful. And I think asking yourself that question at the beginning and continually asking that throughout the process is is really paramount to just putting on a great event and making sure that that's the focus of everything. And, you know, that will help you when things go wrong, because, I mean, let's face it, in events, things go wrong. It's it's always going to happen. I don't care if you have the most expensive, most polished event planner in you know the world. Things are going to happen. And. At the end of it, as long as you can look at those few things that you said at the beginning, you can work around the rest. You can deal with the rest, but you can still feel like you had a successful event. I love that. So thank Mike. Thank you so much for being on Make and Bacon. I really appreciate you coming on and hopefully the audience got a lot out of this. Yep, absolutely. And anybody has any questions, feel free to uh, Jason knows where to find me. So um, yeah, what's a what's a good contact for you? Yeah, my company is called Top Mark Events with an S. So just Mike at topmarkevents.com. I'm happy to answer questions. I'm happy to uh, make connections with, you know, different people. Um, I have a a decent network around the country. So, um, you know, always happy to help. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. This has been Making Bacon, all about helping you serve your fans, grow your income and get the most out of your blog. See you next time.